Now let me ask you, what are you afraid of? A better question would be, how do you respond to fear? How you respond to your fear is what determines how much power it will have over you. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You want to know really why you don't have to be afraid? Because God loves you. And nothing you are facing and nothing you will ever face can stop. Well, hey guys, happy Sunday. It is so great to see you today, and I hope you're doing well no matter where you're at. My name is Clay Munkus, and I get the honor of being the lead pastor here at Next Level. And even if we've never met, I just want you to know I am really glad that you've chosen us to join us today. But before we jump into whatever it is that we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about next week. So if you'll look here, next week we are going to be online only. Next Sunday, June 3rd, only online services. We're not going to have any in-person services as we're giving our volunteers the long holiday weekend off from service. So I hope you thoroughly enjoy your weekend, and I also hope that you'll join us online as I've prepared a really cool special message. We're going to deliver it in a very unique way. I can't wait for you to see it. So again, I hope to see you online next week, and then the following Sunday, which will be July 10th, we're going to resume our regular in-person services at 10 o'clock, where we're going to kick off a brand new series as we answer uh, some very relevant questions surrounding the God that we see in the Old Testament. You don't want to miss that series. Well, today, we're going to wrap up the series that we've been doing on fear, and I want to do it by summarizing this whole series with some words from God on how to overcome fear, kind of in general. And I know some of you have shared stories with me where fear is very real in your life. Uh, some of the stories have involved health crisis, uh, some are stories of uh, career fear or financial fear, uh, some of the fears, if you're a student, you've been talking about starting a new school or starting a new uh, year at school meeting new friends. Most of us, though, know what it's like to have a paralyzing kind of fear, right? Something where it was it happened to you and you're just so overwhelmed by panic and fearful feelings that you were immobilized or paralyzed by that fear. And we're going to talk about that kind of fear today. And uh, as we talk about that, we're going to talk about how do we overcome it, not just talk about it, but how do you overcome this debilitating type of of fear. But before we go any further, it'd be good to note that there is some fear that just shouldn't be overcome. In other words, some fear is a good thing for us and should be acknowledged and reacted to. There is such a thing as constructive fear. Let me give you a couple. Like if you've ever uh, driven, especially down south, and you're driving on icy roads, there's a fear that you might have, and that fear might just keep you out of the ditch. Or if you fret just a bit about a huge presentation at work, that's legitimate. Or maybe you have a test or a final exam coming up, and, and you have some fear around being able to recall all the information that your teacher has taught. Sometimes there's a certain amount of fear that keeps you alert and alive and realistic about the consequences 
of your actions. And that is what we would call constructive fear. And that is actually a good thing. It motivates us to fasten up our seatbelts, to show up for work or go to school every day. Fear is not always a bad thing. That's what I wanted to say. In fact, Jesus said this about this idea of constructive fear in Matthew 10, 28. He said, you should fear. What are we going to fear? You should fear the one who's able to destroy the body and soul in hell. Now, some fear is legitimate and important. And what Jesus is saying here is we ought to live with one eye on eternity and we ought to live every day with the awareness that life does not end at the grave. So she would, we should always live knowing that there is more than just this life and living right now. And most of us, if not all of us, at some point, we start thinking about our own mortality. And in those moments, I want to tell you, when you're thinking about your own mortality and life after the grave and all those things that are kind of like that, it's something you ought to be thinking about. It's a good thing. And getting that thing wrong can be an unthinkable deal. So, there's this thing called constructive fear. That's what I mean to say with all of this, which keeps us alert. It helps us deal with the realities of life, and it also helps us deal with this thing called eternity. But then there's this thing that I want us to focus on today, and it's called destructive fear. Constructive fear and destructive fear. In the book Simplify, it describes destructive fear like this. It says, this is the kind of fear that nips away at the quality of our lives and our work, and our relationships, and our recreational pursuits. It's the kind of fear that makes life feel ominous and dangerous. It's the kind of fear that makes it impossible for us to feel joy and satisfaction and exhilaration about the future. Right? So this is destructive fear, the kind that is tearing down. And it has to be overcome or it will wreck your life. And the good news is that through the power of God, this destructive fear can be overcome. Look what 2 Timothy says in chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes and says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Simply put, God wants you to conquer those debilitating and paralyzing and joy-wrecking fears that plague your life. He wants to free you up from the tyranny of timidity. And my guess is that we're all timid or afraid about something. And it's always different, right? Uh, we could put a, a microphone, we could pass it all around the crowd today and say, hey, what are you scared of? What is it that almost every time that, that you're thinking or that you're walking towards it, it just stares you down and you shrink back because of timidity? What, what is that? You know, what, what do you need to conquer today might be something we'd say. And if we did that, I'm sure everyone would have a different answer but we would all have an answer. Now, I realize that when we talk about overcoming fear, some people who teach Christian truths, like I teach Christian truths, sometimes we can create a bit of a false impression. They overstate the biblical case, and they'll say things like, God will take away all your fear. Just ask him to. You know, like He'll rave some sort of spiritual wand, and it's going to disappear. And I really, honestly, just to let you know, that's an overstatement. I think the Bible presents the fact that overcoming fear is going to be a joint venture. You're going to have to play a role in overcoming fear, and God will play his role. Don't worry about the part that God plays. He'll come through, but there's some stuff that you have to do. It's kind of this cooperative venture if you're going to get 
past fear. And if you're serious about overcoming fear, if you're serious about being liberated from that chokehold that fear has on you, there's a couple of things that you must do, and that's what I want to talk about today. And the first one is this. Seek to understand fear's origin in your life. Fear has a beginning place. Understand its origins. Dr. Joseph Wolby is a South African psychiatrist who spent almost his entire life working with people in an attempt to understand their phobias or their fears. And he was quite surprised to learn over the years that oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes people live their entire lives tormented by a particular fear that developed from a single fright-filled event earlier on in their life. So let me give you an example. Some people will never go near water, I mean their whole life, because when they were eight or nine or when they were younger, a neighbor came over and dunked them in the pool and held them under the water, and they felt like they were going to drown. And out of that single event, what has evolved is not just a hesitation to hang out with you know, that kid that did the dunking, not just a hesitation about taking swimming lessons, but a lifelong fear of water and boats and beaches and the whole thing. I mean, the whole water phobia can be traced back to one frightening experience that they had on early in life. And Dr. Welby spent years trying to understand why people fear things, like public speaking, right? And what he discovers, almost everyone who experiences high degrees of fear about speaking in front of people can think back and remember a moment in time when they gave maybe like an oral book report in class or a three-minute speech in class or, you know, whatever it was where they were talking and all eyes in the room were focused on them and then somebody laughed or somebody made a cutting remark and the talk didn't go so well and they felt the rejection of the whole room, right? right? Or, or maybe the teacher embarrassed them, whatever it was. But that moment on, from that moment on, the mere thought of public speaking causes fear and trembling for some people for the rest of their lives, all traced back to a single event like in first grade, third grade, fifth grade, whatever it was. It's a fascinating thing. Some people just go through decade after decade of debilitating fearful thoughts, all traced back to one specific event. It's not a very rational thing when you think about it. Other examples are just everywhere. There are people who won't drive anymore because they put a car in the ditch maybe 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Right? I know people who won't go out on boats because they got seasick once when they were 14, or people who will not pursue relationships anymore because they were hurt by somebody 20 years ago. There are even people who stay away from God and they stay away from the church because someone a long time ago intimidated them spiritually and they're not about to let that happen again. So they miss out on the rich life that Jesus offers because of a bad experience a long time ago. The point of all of this, when you peel back all the layers of destructive fear, often, not all the time, but often at the core of it all are just one or two events that in and among themselves you know, weren't all that terrifying, but they were just scary enough to start tipping the dominoes, just scary enough to start getting people to put up the stay away signs and, and the, the start avoidance patterns. And as you all know, if you avoid facing fear, the fear just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It escalates over time. And experts in the field of fear management agree that the power of fear often begins to diminish when a person really takes time to understand its origin. Where did it come from? And recognize it for what it really is. 
And to be bluntly honest, this is something we have to take responsibility for. We, me and you, we have to do the hard work, talk to friends, think back, journal, write, go to Christian counselors, something to get at where it all started. What started those dominoes to fall? And this corresponds with scores of scripture passages that tell us to be sober-minded, wise, uh, circumspect, and reflective about our lives so that we don't become tyrannized by the thought patterns that gain a power over us as the, you know, the power that it should never have in the first place. Let me give you a couple of those. The classic New Testament passage on this is 2 Corinthians 10.5, where it says, Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Paul is challenging us to take every thought captive, refuse to be tyrannized by fear-inducing ideas. It, it is possible, Paul says, to bring order and discipline to a mind that's reeling from scary thoughts. Then the writer of Proverbs he also tells us this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, more than anything you guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. Both Paul and the wise King Solomon are giving us a challenge to take every thought captive and to guard our minds. And the use of that, that particular word guard kind of has this military tinge to it. The idea that we are to fight for mental and emotional equilibrium and not surrender easily to that which causes fearful thought patterns. And this leads us kind of to our second step. So we're going to find fear's origin and then we're going to expose it's lies. We're going to expose it. The, the next step is to expose where that came from. You know, that's work we have to do if we're going to be overcomers of fear. Expose the lie that is there. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking about Satan, the evil one, and he exposes him as a liar. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, he, being Satan, has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And in this statement, Jesus is exposing the evil one's primary strategy for the defeat and the destruction of human personality, which is what? Deception, the telling of lies. And here's how this fear works. Think, think of the last time. Maybe uh, someone you love dearly, the last time they were out of town and they told you, hey, I'll give you a call later tonight. And then later tonight happens, it's 10, 10.30, it's 11 o'clock at night, and you haven't got a call. How does fear work? Does it prompt you to think, well, you know, something probably came up. Uh, he or she has to work late or got roped into helping someone else out, and I'll just believe the best, and I'll give the benefit of the doubt, and I'll follow up on them in the morning. Is that how destructive fear works? No. This is how it works. Destructive fear starts spinning out nightmare scenarios, right? The, the first one might be this, where it's 10.30, you haven't heard from the person, and you begin to think, I bet he's dead. I, I mean, that's where you start, right? I bet he's dead. I bet he was in a horrible car accident and thrown from the car. I bet he's lying alone on the side of the road, and as his life is ebbing away, he was calling my name, and I wasn't there for him, and now he's gone, and all my life is over too, Right? That's where fear wants to take us, right? And I'm telling you, friends, thoughts like this, they're good for soap operas and country music songs, but these are not good for your emotional health. So that's one way. Another thought that could be, you know, as you begin to think about, um, they haven't called, it's 1030, and maybe, 
<coughs> excuse me, let's go from a male perspective this time. She's dumped me. I know, you know, I knew this relationship was too good to be true. She's probably out with someone else right now. She's probably in his arms, whispering magical words in his ear, saying yes to his marriage proposal, you know, naming their unborn children. All these things are happening in your head, right? And again, these thought processes, they make songwriters and shrinks rich, but it doesn't help the rest of us very much at all. The technical term, if you want to know for this, is called catastrophizing. It's the manufacturing of worst-case scenarios. And the Bible would say the evil one is behind that, just helping you spin out lie after lie after lie. And we can laugh at the illustrations that I just thought up, but there are times when fear has a stranglehold on us. And the lies we hear swirling around in our heads are no laughing matter at all. Uh, maybe, let's say you're having serious problems at work. And uh, maybe you work at a place that's really, it's, it's kind of a corrupt environment. And therefore, it's kind of a violation of your spirit to just stay in that environment. So you're thinking, I got to get this, I got to get out of this job. I, I got to get a better job, a better employment. And then the fear takes over and the lies start spinning out and they start manufacturing all of these worst case scenarios. Like, I got to get out of here. And then you start saying, well, hey, wait a minute, if I walk away from this job, then I'll be out on the streets and no one will hire me. My family's going to start starving, you know, right in front of my eyes. And God's not going to be there for me. So I'm just going to hang on to this job. Even though its expectations are unrealistic and its demands are destructive and the culture is dysfunctional and the ethics are dishonorable to God, I'm just going to hang on to this because I'm scared. Or maybe let's say you're at school. And you know you're in this dating relationship that's going nowhere. And maybe it's not just going nowhere. It's going in the absolute wrong direction. And you begin to think, really, I should end this relationship. It's not doing either one of us any good. And then fear kicks in. And you start thinking, well, but if I do that, what if there's no one else that will date me? I mean, what if I break up and he or she begins to spread rumors about me and I'm hated by everyone and no one will be my friend anymore and then I have to sit at the lunch table alone? You know, I become that kid forever. So you just decide, I'm going to do nothing and I'm going to stay in a relationship that's going nowhere. Or maybe uh, you, you got spiritual questions. And you've been you know, thinking, you know, it's, it's time I turn my life around. It's time that I admit my sin and I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And then fear takes over. Begins to say, but if I do that, I'm going to lose all my friendships. And I'm going to forgo every pleasure I've ever known. And I'm going to have to mindlessly accept whatever the church leaders tell me is true. And I'll never know feelings of spontaneity and freedom again. And I just can't bear the thought of all of this. So I'm just going to push God away. Right? I'm going to silence his gentle whispers, and I'm going to go my own way for a little while. Why? Because of fear. You see how fear works? Just listen for the lies it tells. Fear thrives on deceit, and it's fanned by the evil one, those frenzied spinnings of worst-case scenarios, which, why those of us want to, you know, we need to be able to overcome the power of fear. We have to expose the lie and diffuse the strength of those lies by telling truthful words. So to be free, let's go back. Number one, you got to seek to understand fear's origin, where it all started in your life. Number two, we're going to expose the lies. And then the third thing, you have to face your fear. Eventually, you just got to stare it down, right? If you're ever going to conquer it, you've got to look it in the eyes. You got to walk into it, you got to walk through it, and hang on to the hands of God and come out on the other side. 
There's just no other way. Winston Churchill used to say that if a person turned their back on fear, hoping that by avoiding it, the fear would go away, he said the fear would double and just keep gaining strength and coming back. But he said, if the fear were faced promptly and forthrightly, its power would be cut in half. There's a lot of truth in that. People who overcome fear learn that over time, sooner or later, fear has to be faced. And the good news is you don't have to face it alone. God has made himself available to us. Here here are some words I want you to think about when you're ready to face down whatever that fear is. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 34, verse 4. When I sought the Lord, he answered me and he delivered me from my fears. Joshua says this in the first chapter, verse 9. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Guys, whenever you decide to belly up and face the fear, God will be there. When you walk slowly in the direction of overcoming that fear, he will help you through it. One more verse in Psalm chapter 46. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a proven friend in time of need. Listen, today is the day. God's strong hand is outstretched to the fearful among us. And you know what I think he's saying to to many of us today? I think he's saying these two words. It's time. I think he's telling us it's time. To, To some of you, God is saying, you have suffered under the tyranny of fear long enough. You've paid your dues. You don't owe that taskmaster anything anymore. You've paid enough. It's time. God is saying it's time. It's time for you to rise up and take the divine assistance that's available to you and start really living. It's time to start doing what you've longed to do but never had the courage to do. It's time to go to some places you've always wanted to go but you've been too afraid to go. It's time. It's time to launch out maybe on some new dreams or something you really would like to do, but you've shrunk back from because of timidity. It's time to face what you've always wanted to face, but this time you get to face it with courage. It's time. Maybe God is saying to some of you, it's time for you to let go of your fear of committing your life entirely to Jesus. It's time to throw open the doors of your heart to Jesus and say, no more timidity. I'm not standing on the sideline anymore. I'm, I'm going to get in the game. Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Forgive me. Take over. Guide it. Right? I want this for my life. Hey, it, that's the big one, right? When you face that fear and you take God's strong hand and you open up your heart to the work of Jesus and you begin to join his family through grace, that's a big one. And I mean, when you overcome that fear, There's a lot to gain. You gain an eternity and you gain life in this life. But no matter where you're at right now, I think that God is saying to many of us today, it's time. So let me ask, is he saying it to you? Do do you hear him? Is he saying to you, it's time? If he is, then in your heart, I want you to just reach out and I want you to receive. Make this a defining moment. Mark this on your calendar. I have suffered under the tyranny of timidity long enough. I don't owe that taskmaster anything. It's time. All right, one last time. Let's read our key verse together. 2 Timothy 1.7. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He wants us to live with a spirit of power, overcoming power, a spirit of love that chases out fear. Hey, let's pray right where you're at. And as you begin to focus your attention on God, let me say it's time. Today is the day that you're going to face your fear. This is the day of a new beginning for you where fear loses its hold on you. So Jesus, as we begin to mark this time, there are some of us who are watching this, who are listening to this, that have been spiritually seeking. We've been asking questions of faith and it's time. It's time to take that scary step and put my trust in you. There are others of us that have something sitting right in front of us that we're afraid of. Maybe it's a hope or maybe it's a dream that, that you have given us, but we've been scared to take any action. It's time. So today, Father, I come to you and I give you my fear. I invite you into this place. Come help me face this fear and take on the challenge that's in front of me. And there are yet others of us We've got difficult decisions that are sitting right in front of us. And we know we need to do some things, but we're afraid. Our hearts are pounding out of our chest as we think about it even now. Jesus, give us the power and the peace to make those decisions. Holy Spirit, be with us now and in the future. Guide us with your wisdom. Empower us with your strength. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content, as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you're helping us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those same lines, could I also ask you to head over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org and click on the green Give button that's up there. And when you do, I would love it if you would choose one of the giving options there. Your faithful support helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, as we wrap up this series, by way of benediction, let me reread to you the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 1, 7, where he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. May you, today, and all throughout this week, choose faith over fear. May you choose power and love over timidity. It's time. May you take your Heavenly Father's hand and face down your fear. Hey guys, have a blessed week. I hope you have a great holiday weekend next weekend. We will see you on all of our social channels that go through the week. And we'll see you online only with no in-person services next week on July 3rd. God bless. I love you. We're praying for you.